Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm sick of it! Every year! We give power to one person! That is correct. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. The bonus time of the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Wednesday, January 27, 2021. The headlines in the paper rallying against trial. GOP senators signal a second Trump acquittal. All those GOP senators, man. He sent those rioters down to the Capitol, and they're still like, well, you know, on one hand this, on the other hand that. By the way, those voices that we heard at the outset, I believe one is Congressman Michael Boast. Uh, the other is uh, the fellow we fondly call DB, Darren Bailey, uh, two downstate Republicans. And I thought we'd do something a little different. I'm always making fun of those downstate politicians, but I thought we'd bring on a politician from downstate that I'm not going to make fun of. Uh, And so without further ado, as I do with all bonus shows, I ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished guests, introduce yourself. Good afternoon, Ben. Uh, Guest, I am Erica Weaver. I am currently a public defender here in Coles County. I was the Democratic nominee for Congress for the 15th Congressional District in 2020. Um, And I am a Mattoon School Board member running for re-election right now. She is a very busy person, ladies and gentlemen. She's a lawyer. She's on the school board and she ran for Congress. And in my humble opinion, I don't get a vote in Mattoon. She should have been elected Congresswoman over Mary Miller. The woman who do, defeated her is now the incumbent or is now representing the 15th Congressional. We'll get into all that. Uh, but Erica, I want to take the opportunity, first of all, just to like to introduce you uh, to my listeners. Uh, most of my people, most of the people listening to my show are in the Chicago area, so they may not know about you or they may not know about Matt, too. And so why don't you tell folks a little bit about what where the 15th Congressional District is, where Matt Toon is and who Erica Weaver is. So go ahead. Absolutely. So um, Mattoon is in East Central Illinois. We are directly 45 minutes to an hour south of Champaign, Illinois. Most people know where U of I is. Um, We are where Eastern Illinois University is. So right off I-57, the 15th Congressional District is currently the largest district in uh, the state of Illinois. It's about a fourth of the land size of Illinois. It uh, is home to 33 counties. So it's a very large district. We'll see what happens. We know that uh, Illinois is set for redistricting. And so we will either be split or we may lose that district. Um, In terms of who I am and for people from the city of Chicago or the Chicagoland area, I went to law school in Chicago at Loyola University Chicago School of Law. Um, I commuted from Mattoon, which is about three and a half hours south of Chicago, to Loyola for three years Um, as a mom. um, I have three children who lived with me and and are still, of course, very close to me. Um, They're now 25, 22, and 17. Um, 
And after law school, I stayed here and I've landed at the public defender's office, ran for school board in my last semester of law school and subsequently uh, ran for Congress. And uh, just so folks know, uh, Erica Weaver grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago, uh, Hillcrest High School, as I recall you telling me. Um, so yeah. you've you've been all over the state, and and you when um, when I first was talking to you on the phone, you made reference to a reader story about you. I write for the reader, been writing for the reader for like five billion years, uh, yeah. and I forgot this story. But this was a story about the commute you did. Talk a little bit about that, uh, the commute you did when you were in law school. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, when I moved out here, as, as a again, as a single mom, um, didn't have a lot of income, and I wanted to move for law school. I didn't have the money for that, and I was trying to utilize a housing choice voucher um, to relocate, and it was really difficult, and people, they loved the idea of having a law student uh, rent from them. They did not enjoy the idea of it being by way of a voucher, and so I ended up commuting and letting my family stay here. Um, I decided it would be my sacrifice and not theirs. And so they were stable here and I commuted by car or by train to Chicago. And so um, at that time, there were lots of um, advocacy to get uh, housing equity in Chicago. And someone learned about my my efforts and um, they did a story on the commute and the, the commitment to um, my family into my education to go from Mattoon to Chicago. And I think the young lady, if I remember correctly, she met me at the train station to just see what that was like. And she ended up having to wait because Amtrak was late. And so ended up being a four plus hour trip that day. She followed me on the blue line out to, at that time, I think I stayed that time at my grandmother's house. Um, and then she met me there the next morning and, and rode with me all the way downtown. Um, I didn't have a place to live there, so I stayed with friends or family or whoever, um, basically slept on couches, floors, or whatever for the three years so that I can get my law degree. Wow. And what law school did you go to, did you say? Loyola University of Chicago School. Now, what uh, induced you uh, to go leave the shelter of the Chicagoland area? I was teasing before we went on the air that uh, I – I have such a limited notion of geography in the state of Illinois, mostly because I'm just a Chicago based person. And I know a little bit about, I know Evanston and Skokie on the, the Northern suburbs, but uh, that's about it, you know? So what induced you to leave the shelter of Chicago and go down to Mattoon and uh, discover the rest of the state? So it was more about discovering me. I knew I wanted to go back to school at the time. I didn't have a college degree. Um, I knew that I couldn't afford to keep doing what I was doing. We had previously lived in a family shelter in 2004 and I just, I wanted things to be better for my children. And so I knew I needed to pursue my education and just be focused on that. So I applied for two apartments, one out by Northern Illinois university and one by um, Eastern and the one at Eastern uh, was available first. And I just said, we're going to take a chance and we're going to go. And so we moved out here in 2005 and we've been here ever since. Um, and then I started at Lakeland and I got my associates there. I earned that. And then I went to Eastern for my bachelor's and my master's. And so many people in Chicago have a sort of uh, a stereotypical notion of everything that's south of Chicago. Why don't you give uh, people a sense of a difference different sense, if you will. Obviously, you must like it uh, in Mattoon because you stayed there and made yourself part of the community. Well, I'll say this. I don't know if I immediately liked it. It was very different. Um, 
it is, but I'll tell you this, it's quiet. I love the quiet. There's no traffic. If I say I'm an hour away from someplace, I'm literally one solid hour, not a possible three hours. Um, it's, it's affordable. It is, it's peaceful, but it is, is drastically different. When I first moved here, um, I was surprised that, you know, everything closed by like nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock. None of the fast food is open. Um, some of that has changed. The mall is really, you know, small, but again, the population is different. Um, and it was just, it was easier for me to be a parent because that's what I wanted to be a parent and a student. And I could do that here. Um, you do have to have a car though, because we don't have public transportation out here. Um, but I think that what happens is there's a presumption that outside of uh, larger metropolitan areas that people um, are uninformed and unintelligent um, and just totally disconnected from reality. And that's not, that's not a, an accurate representation. Um, it's just different. It really is different, but it's very quiet. It's very comfortable. I feel safe and um, I grew to love it out here and the community was really supportive when I went to law school. Um, my girls and my son, they didn't miss any events. They didn't miss school. They didn't miss practice. My children have always been very engaged. They didn't sacrifice one moment of any event out here. Um, my daughter's track coach, when her sister would catch the bus from the middle school to the high school, they didn't make my daughter miss practice. Her coaches meet my daughter at the bus and bring her to practice with her sister. So it's a very, it's a small, close community um, that's very loving. And so I don't know that you get that immediately in larger areas um, where you know most of the faces. Yes, and by the way, in the reader, I, I think I sent this to you in a text, in the reader uh, article about you, uh, your photograph, you're wearing a track and field t-shirt. It must yeah. be your daughter's, and I got a big kick out of years. I love track and field, and I coached it for uh, several years back in grammar school. Anyway, um, so what in the world made you think uh, that you could get elected out of the district uh, in the race for Congress? Go ahead. I felt like if people saw me the way that my community here um, saw me, that's who they would want in office. Um, and that that's just people across the board, right? Republicans and Democrats here voted for me to be on the school board. They work with me every day. Um, I, you know, my children and their children are friends and we have all these conversations about very difficult topics. And a lot of them said, Erica, if people could just meet you, they would vote for you because we know that you're a trustworthy person. We know who you are. And I just, I said, you know, people just need to see that. Um, but COVID really complicated my ability to, to meet people and, and get them to um, see who I am and hear my perspective on things. Um, but I believe that if they saw me and they met me, they would trust me and they would vote for me um, despite party. Uh, and if you lost, uh, it was a, a seat was vacant. It had been held by uh, John Shimkus, the incumbent uh, yeah. Republican congressman for uh, quite a while. And he decided not to run for re-election. A woman named Mary Miller ran. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, Erica, I must confess, I did not know Mary Miller before uh, this election. I followed it from afar. I did not think, and I also must confess this, I'm raising my hand, that the Democrats were going to win that district. I did not think you were going to win. And then in the aftermath, uh, Erica Weaver was quoted, quote, and I'm quoting it, Hitler was right. 
And I felt Mary Miller was quoted. <laughs> yeah, Mary, definitely. I said Mary Miller was quoted, not okay. Eric Weaver. Oh my goodness. Yes, please. I've only written about it so many times. Uh, Mary Miller was quoted. And I was just like, how in the world? I was mad at myself for not doing more to help you win. Okay. Mm -hmm. I must confess that. Uh, and uh, I spent a lot of time interviewing Danny B. She was running the 16th Congressional. I wanted her to win. You know, I'm basically a Democrat. But Erica, did you have any sense when you were running against Mary Miller that she had, she had these kind of this worldview that she would say something like Hitler was right? I will say, and, and if, if you had a chance to see my statement, that um, I believe that we are seeing who she is. Um, she's consistent in who she is. I've never heard her make a statement like that. Um, but in some of her campaign material, um, she made some comments about Black Lives Matter. And if they were to come to, I don't know why they would be in Oakland, but if they were to come to Oakland and be on her property, that she would shoot back. And there's a video of her and her daughter shooting an AR-15, I believe it is. Um, in some of her prior positions on immigration, um, she made some very strong statements about, um, you know, people of Mexican or uh, Latin descent. And, you know, of course, going with the whole notion that, you know, they're in gangs and they're all criminals. And so um, I don't believe that we're meeting a new person um, in, in the comments. I just this is who she is. And she's been consistent in that. She does support violence. Um, she does have very extreme positions. Um, I, again, don't know if all the people who voted for her were able to see that. I, I think that a lot of people um, voted along party lines and now the world is seeing who she is. Mm -hmm. Do you find that uh, Donald Trump was really popular in your neck of the woods? Was it difficult for you to run uh, as, a per, as a Democrat against the party of Trump? I would say yes. Um, in 2016, he won this district by about 73%. Um, so there, our district prior to this election was the largest Republican district probably in the Midwest. Um, so I knew, um, uh, what I was up against. I didn't, I, I don't think that I believe that people were still supportive of him, but what I do know is that a large portion of this country, um, there's, there are people who support him, but there are also people who are just opposed to, uh, Democrats. So if you look at, uh, Mary Miller's campaign, she didn't run against me. She campaigned against AOC and Nancy Pelosi and socialism. She didn't talk about me at all. She talked about other people that um, would draw those type of responses. And so people were voting against this idea that we're voting against Nancy Pelosi, we're voting against AOC, um, and not necessarily we're voting for Mary Miller or Donald Trump. And I think that's where our country has gotten to. We're very polarized and it's, I want to vote against someone versus voting for something. Um, and often we're voting against our own best interests. Uh, so what was your campaign? What, what did you put forth uh, to sort of combat uh, Mary Miller's uh, rhetoric? 
I, I never entertained any of that rhetoric, not even in the primary. So um, my campaign was about presenting to people what I believed in that was, what my platform was, what I wanted to do about those issues. And um, I, I was just very honest in saying that I believe myself to be the best candidate in the primary and in the general election and why I believe that. And, and I still stand on that. Um, even to this day, I don't believe that the better person won the race. Um, but it, it's the result of, of what happened in this country in you know the past two uh, election cycles. Mm. So, Erica, what's your advice to Democrats uh, who are in a position like the one you were in, where you're running uh, in a district that went strong for Trump, 76 percent or 73 percent? Wow. Uh, and uh, the other side is just labeling you, you know, socialist uh, troublemaker, AOC. Uh, what's your advice to Democrats when they're just slapped with labels like that? Well, I don't know if, if, if my campaign is the one to give advice considering that I didn't win. Um, we still had a really good show and we got about 88, 89,000 votes. I think it is. Um, we know that it's possible. We've seen Lauren Underwood do it. Um, I, I think if I were to give any advice, it would be, we need a more cohesive um, campaign process. And so um, whether, you know, it, it feels very isolated for a lot of us outside of the Chicagoland area. Um, and like you're saying, you covered, you know, uh, the 16th district, but it would have been really good at the 16th and the 13th and the 15th and the 12th. You know, if we were all kind of presenting some consistency, if we were all being seen and being supportive, um, because I think that that would help just across the board. Um, we know that, um, Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, her race was heavily contested. We know that uh, Congresswoman Underwood's race was heavily contested. And so um, I just think we need a stronger presence outside of the Chicagoland area. What was the impact that Michael Madigan had? Uh, he was obviously House Speaker, very much House Speaker when the election took place. He no longer is. Chris Welch is uh, currently the House Speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, what was the impact when you went out and talked to people? Did, were people using Madigan against you? Not in, in person, um, but a lot of the comments online on Facebook, people just always alleged that any Democrat was um, a Madigan, you know, um, plant or, you know, there was always some relationship and it, it was a battle to kind of educate them on one. I've never met uh, Speaker Madigan at the time he was Speaker Madigan. Um, and I wasn't running for anything, you know, in the state legislature. I was running for Congress, um, which has nothing to do with, you know, the Illinois General Assembly. And so, but again, that, those are the things, right? Madigan, Pelosi, AOC, socialism. Those are the taglines. Um, and, and I'll circle back. The reason it's important for us to have a more cohesive um, effort is because what I will tell you that I heard from people, a lot of people said they felt forgotten. They felt forgotten by the Democratic Party. They hadn't seen a lot of active, um, you know, engagement by the uh, Democratic Party. So they were Republican by default. And so um, people, no matter what, want to know that that they're cared about, right? That the people that they're electing, the people who are running, really see them, really care about them, are really listening and really going to work hard for them. And they're not feeling that anymore. Um, and so... 
that's why it's important that we give them our presence and our attention and our time and our effort. Um, because quite frankly, neither party is heavily invested out here. The Republican Party didn't spend a lot of money on this campaign. They just trusted that with a few, you know, buzzwords, they could shift and it worked. Yes, uh, they trusted with a few buzzwords that is uh, so well put. All right. So what are particular issues that you think would resonate uh, with those uh, Trump voters uh, in your that could get them to shift from Mary Miller to Erica Weaver or to uh, shift from Donald Trump to Erica Weaver? What are the specific issues uh, that you think resound with them? I don't know about getting them to shift. I, I do know what resonates with them. And that is we all want to make sure that we can take care of our families. We want our children to be in school. We want them to be educated and be safe. We want to have jobs that are, you know, profitable, right? We don't want to just be employed, but every person, Republican and Democrat, independent and likewise, anything else, we want to be able to go to work and be able to pay our bills, pay them on time, have a little money for entertainment and maybe a vacation or a pet. Um, everyone wants to have health care, whether they believe in COVID or not, whether they accept COVID or not, people want to be able to go to the doctor and not have, you know, mounting medical bills or mounting student loan debt. Um, or like I said, we don't have public transportation. People want to be able to have reliable cars, um, that they can either make a payment on or keep the insurance on, um, they don't want to have a bunch of, you know, traffic tickets. I have a lot of people in traffic court for no insurance or suspended licenses. And so at the very base, everybody wants to meet their basic needs and they want to know that the people they've elected will advocate for that and do it selflessly, right? They don't want to elect people who are going to go and misuse that information for self-gain. And I think if people on either side could trust the people that they're electing, they will be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm going to make raise this next issue uh, with this qualifier. I'm about at least a generation, probably two generations older than Erica Weaver. So I have an older sensibility. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, I'm, she's a lot younger than me. And uh, I, I like when Lauren Underwood ran, I was like, oh, I really love Lauren Underwood, but I, I just can't see a black woman getting elected by all these white people. I'm just going to tell it to you straight, Erica Weaver. That's how I looked at it. Raphael Warnock ran in Georgia. I love Raphael Warnock. I wish I lived in Georgia to vote for him. No way all these white people are going to vote for Raphael Warnock. Stacey Abrams, when she ran for Georgia, for governor of Georgia, I said the same. No way all these, you know, I'm just conditioned by Chicago politics, Harold Washington, yeah. 1983. Uh, you're a black woman. You ran in uh, an area that's mostly white. Did you feel resistance on that level? Or did you feel as confident as Lauren Underwood and Raphael Warnick that you could win? I felt extremely confident that I could win. Um, and, you know, because I ran in one school board. Um, the first time I ran, I only lost by 11 votes. And again, because I work in this community, um, it is a 90, 94, 95% Caucasian community, the district being the same. Um, but I just, I trusted what I was running on. I trusted why I was running and I felt like that's what people wanted. They wanted someone who was going to be transparent and trustworthy and qualified. So that's what I put out there. Um, I don't know that I felt resistance, but I, I, I do believe that there were some people who questioned, well, where are you when it comes to black lives matter? Um, 
And and I did receive that question a few times. And and I think it's because uh, whether it's, you know, Mary Miller or the, the general public or the media or, you know, the prior administration, there's this idea that um, Black Lives Matter is just this angry, violent group um, that's coming to cause problems. And I've, I've heard other people say that at some um, candidate forums. And my response to that is um, African-American people, the black community is not saying we don't want anything to be, you know, we want just lawlessness. We're saying we want it to be applied equitably to everyone, right? We're saying not that my life is more important than yours, Ben, or the next person, but I'm a person. I am a person in this space. I want to be treated as a person with the same rights and dignity that everyone else around me has, that my clients get when I fight for them every day. And my children, just because I chose to be a mom, are targeted unfairly. They receive disparate treatment and they shouldn't. And that should be a problem for everyone. I want my son and my daughters to go out and enjoy all of the spaces just like their friends do. I want to be able to go to bed at night like my friends do when their children are out and not be terrified or uncomfortable or an alarm when I hear sirens or when something happens. I don't want to feel that that angst to say, are you okay? That's what that's what people are saying, but I don't know that that's being properly communicated. And, you know, Dave Chappelle said that, um, and I'm paraphrasing that, extract that it's only happening to black lives. That's not what people are saying. We are saying it is disproportionate, and it is. The evidence is there. Um, it's not playing the race card. It is saying that this is happening at a disproportionate rate, and we need to be responsible uh, as a community, as a society, as, as a government. We need to be more responsible about that. Do you think when people start raising Black Lives Matter, they're speaking in a, in a code that they're saying something else uh, when they talk about Black Lives Matter? Um, people meaning opposition or yes, people- Yes, opposition. I, I would say I think so, but I don't know that people are aware that they're doing that. And what I mean by that is um, people hear stuff and they jump on it. I don't know if, if everyone who opposes Black Lives Matter um, understands what it is that they're in opposition of. There is no instance in which we should say that someone advocating for life and safety is an attack on the police department or police officers. Or, you know, that's not what it is. Um, I can want to see criminal justice reform and still respect my officers that I work with every day. I can still want my children to be healthy and happy and safe. And that doesn't mean that I'm anti-law enforcement. It means I'm pro-life. How about that? <laughs> I, want to, I want my children to be safe, but they still, they respect law enforcement. But I don't want them to, to be terrified of, of law enforcement either. Um, and that's the misconception that some, you don't have to be against something to be pro one thing, but you need to be mindful and what it is that you're advocating for, because it could uh, suppress 
and impede someone else's rights and civil liberties. Yeah. Uh, well put. And the pro-life uh, triggers, of course, a different response. There's a different kind of pro-life. And I will get to that because there's something that I discovered that Eric and I have in common, uh, a love for a certain TV series called Mrs. America. I'll get to that. Uh, but before we get to uh, Mrs. America, and we'll close with that. I want to ask you, what's your future hold? Uh, as you pointed out, it's a lot of uncertainty uh, in congressional districts because there's going to be redistricting coming up. Uh, yeah. We have a new House Speaker, uh, Chris Emanuel, uh, excuse me, Emanuel Chris Welch of uh, the Western Suburbs, and who probably having a big role uh, in uh, that. So my recommendation to you, Eric, we ever send him a bouquet of roses or something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so what's the future for Erica Weaver? Well, right now, um, I'm ending the first term with my school board seat, so I am running for re-election there, um, which I promised. I said if I didn't, you know, depending upon what happened November 3rd, if I were still here, I would run again. So I am running for that seat. Um, I will wait and see um, where I will be running again for Congress. I will run again. Um, I still believe in my ability to do the job. It's just we've got to reach more people. And... We learned a lot this time around. It was a very interesting process, a huge learning curve. Um, but I, I believe in what we did. Um, I believe in what we stood for and still stand for. And we'll put that out there again and try it again um, in the next year or so. So we're not going anywhere. Um, we, you know, it was a labor of love. And I said, I'll be here. Um, I may not have the same county chairs going forward because of uh, the change of district, but uh, I, I will still be here and I'll still be doing the work and making the efforts. Yeah, we'll be following this one uh, closely, Erica, because you're right, the uh, 16th Congressional District, the 15th Congressional District, the 13th Congressional District, I could just see all kinds of shifts uh, and moving uh, boundaries altered and who, Lord knows who will be where and how it's going to shake out. So yes, it'll be. And we were, we were previously um, with the uh, Champaign area. So what would be now the 13th, the 15th was a part of that area when we had Tim Johnson. So I don't know how they're going to redraw, but um, we will see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I remember I was wondering if Carol Lamb would stay rep then. I thought she was going to run for Congress. Uh, so Lord knows how this whole thing is going to play out when all's yeah. done. All right, uh, let's close with uh, Mrs. America. I just discovered uh, you watched it and were uh, you uh, liked it as much as I did. And folks, I, I'm going to do a whole special show on this. I know it's a year late. People go, Ben, that thing was out in January. I just got around to watch it, all right? I loved it. <laughs> Erica, it's hard for me to explain how much I loved it. It tells the story of the ERA fight that took place in the 70s from the vantage yeah. point of uh, several different uh, activists on both sides of the issue. Phyllis Schlafly, who is the right winger, pro-life uh, activist from Alton, Illinois. And then you, oh my God, uh, Gloria Steinem, uh, Betty Friedan, uh, Shirley Chisholm. I just found it so inspirational because all the pressures that all these different women activists faced uh, very similar, similar to what activists today are facing. Like if you go yeah. too far one way or the other, someone is going to say, Hey, uh, don't, don't be so uh, radical. Trim your sales a little bit, cut a deal, work with the establishment, cut, you know, dilute your message in order yeah. uh, not to scare people. I, 
that's kind of like so many themes that resonate today. I took from it. What were some of the the points that you took from that uh, series? So um, I think we agree on all of that. One, just for women in general, right? Both sides of the aisle, they face significant um, stereotypes and chauvinism and and opposition um, to the extent that I don't know that they were really fighting against each other, but they had to. Um, and the irony was, you know, Phyllis Schlafly was doing all of these things, but literally fighting to relegate the ability for other women to do it. Um, and she enjoyed it immensely, right? She went back to law school later. Um, I went to law school later. She is from downstate. I'm from downstate. Both very different positions uh, politically, but just the idea that as women, we could do these things and, and recreate our spaces for each other. Um, what I what resonated with me the most was the experience, of course, of Shirley Chisholm. And that is, like you said earlier, whether or not a black woman in certain spaces can be elected, right? And even amongst her then allies and her affinity group, she still didn't receive that type of support. Um, they did not support Shirley. They supported, um, you know, her primary opponent because they said, you know what, that's great. You're the better candidate, but nope, you're not going to win. Um, I think when we do that, we almost create that result right? By not supporting that candidate that we think is outstanding when we support a lesser candidate because they'll probably win. And it was tough for her. She didn't have the money. Um, she didn't have the resources. She didn't have the access, but she was an outstanding candidate and she maintained her composure. Um, her character spoke for itself and it was just, it was impressive to see, but also very disturbing to see that so many years later, literally 47 years later, because that was in what, 1972, and I was born a year later. Um, so the duration of my life, and we're still seeing uh, these things over and over again. I, I watched um, the story uh, of Hillary Clinton was on also like Hulu, and I watched that. And what she experienced as a woman, where people questioned what she had on, um, and they, you know, they had all of these different questions. Tell her how to dress. Well, why is she saying that? Well, why is she here? What about her husband? Um, and of the two Clintons, she was probably the most qualified and most outstanding Clinton. Um, but because she didn't immediately take her husband's last name, you know, like all of these things that uh, women face. Uh, don't change your hair. Don't wear different makeup. Don't, you know, things that have nothing to do with our ability to do the job, um, our critical thinking, um, our, our willingness to work, our work ethic. That's still a problem today. Um, and probably one of my biggest frustrations with our current representative, because she lacks the independent thought uh, of, of, of any issue. But that's because we don't get the credit of, of being qualified and being competent and being um, exceptional in spaces. Yeah. By the way, you are uh, just a, for a younger uh, viewer, Shirley Chisholm was a congresswoman from uh, Brooklyn, New York. She ran for president as a Democratic mm -hmm. primary in 1972. The Democrats nominated George McGovern. And uh, the people laughed at Shirley. Come on. You can't win yeah. a black woman where well, you can't win. I think she only got 2% of the vote and every, yeah. all the pressure 
what she faced to uh, drop her candidacy and just let her delegates go for George McGovern. And she was saying, no, I, I worked hard for every one of these delegates. I'm not just, she, and I have so much respect for Shirley Chisholm. Uh, and uh, that uh, she was the forerunner. And you're so right about Hillary. Oh my, don't get me started. Listen, this is me talking, not Erica Weaver. I feel Bill Clinton is a dog. I think Bill Clinton, um, his what, what he did to Monica Lewinsky in the 90s, it, it was, you were so young, you, you, I don't know if you were even paying attention, Erica, but the point I is, remember, yeah. you remember, the point is, if he were to run in 2016, he would have won. And I say that out there, Bill Clinton, dog that he is, would have run in 2016. Hillary paid the price on two fronts because she was married to him. So all that, everyone hated Bill Clinton went against her and she was a woman. And I really believe that, Erica. I believe that if Bill Clinton himself had run with all that yeah. baggage that he carried, he would have won. But his wife, who is more qualified, I would like to say, than Bill Clinton. I don't know why she put up with him all those years. That's a whole other story. But I do believe that is true, that Bill Clinton would, he could probably win this year. Okay. People love Clinton. So I'm with you hundred percent on that. It's just the bias that people have. And it's almost like sometimes Erica, it, like, I don't even know if everybody knows it. You follow what I'm saying? They just, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. I, I have had conversations with people who have, you know, said things that were absolutely biased and not realize that that's what they're doing um, because it just makes sense to them. And what's normal is subjective. Right. And that's just normal to them. And this is, this is why would you want to do that? Well, what makes you think you can run? Well, what makes you think you can win? Well, I mean, people, nobody wants their apple cart turned over. Right. Um, but if we listen and realize, well, I'm just trying to help you have more apple trees, right? We want them to grow. We want the fruit to be good and you can pick and they can pick and we can all get it. There's enough apples for everybody. Um, that's basically what, what we're trying to do, especially when you have really good people running. And we just, we, we're missing it because we just see they're trying to knock over my apple cart and they're just trying to do it because... I don't look like them or I don't agree with them. And that is not the case. And it's really difficult to find a common ground and get people to sit down and have those conversations. Um, but I just keep making that effort every day. Uh, I'm not always successful in getting people to listen, but I try my best. All right. Very good, Erica Weaver. Thank you so much for making time to come on our show, our humble little show here. And I wish you the best of luck going forward, okay? Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, reaching out to me. That's Erica Weaver. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.